Welcome to episode 26 of Storm the Norm, the fortnightly podcast where we pick up norms that come in the way of businesses succeeding in a disruptive world. I am Narayan. And I'm Anisha Motwani. Storm the Norm is brought to you in association with Grant Thornton Bharat. On to today's episode now. Anisha, I have to say I am a bit ambivalent about the norm we are tackling today. How so, Narayan? I don't think you are the one who's been a fence-sitter as a norm. Yeah, as a norm, no. But uh, <laughs> let me start with an example that's uh, really far out. And, and by that, I mean literally. And I'll ask you a question first. Mm-hmm. Would you ever consider not calling Jupiter a planet? Jupiter? Of course not. It's the largest planet in our solar system. Exactly, Anisha. And yet... Poor Pluto was declassified as a planet by the International mm-hmm. Astronomical Union in 2006 and is yet to recover from that shock. Mm. Deprived of full planethood and being labeled a dwarf planet, partly on account of its size and also its in- inability to, create it, to clear its neighboring regions of other objects. <laughs> Poor Pluto. Clearly it hadn't paid its union fees and got delisted. <laughs> <coughs> Who knew there was unionization in space, right? <laughs> but uh, coming back to the norm, uh, Pluto seems to be a clear illustration that size is probably the best insulation against shock. Mm. I mean, even if any scientists in the International Astronomical Union had the audacity to declassify Jupiter, maybe because they don't like its giant red spot, <laughs> it wouldn't take too long before, before the rest of the union probably ganged up against a rebellious scientist and and ridicule them rather than relegate Jupiter. So Narayan, on the face of it, it seems like the norm rings true, that size is indeed the best insulation against shock. Well, against that is the evidence of pretty much how the world works. We are mostly made of the long tail. Think about it, from the results of a Google search, to stocks listed on any exchange beyond the big index driving stocks, to mom-and-pop retail that drive and support the consumer economy, we see that it's the small entities that sustain the world. So what you're saying is, if these weren't resilient, then we would have sunk as a socio-industrial economic complex a long time back, whether we consider the global or the local economy. Is that it? Yeah. So, So where do you then net out with the norm? I'm leaning towards a focal point that uh, I'm quite obsessive about these days as the mm-hmm. filter to see whether size matters so much when it comes to resilience. Mm-hmm. And that focal point is, in one word, outcomes. Okay. Because without an understanding of desired outcomes, the only right answer about size's influence on shock resistance is, it depends. It depends. Is the greatest trick you can pull off in any situation. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't want to resort to any trickery if I can help it. Okay. Look, um, underlying this norm is an assumption, you know, that stasis or status quo is not an acceptable outcome. Uh That if there is no forward movement or growth or progress of some kind, it means you're moving backwards. Okay. I want to reject that assumption. Opposite of a lack of forward movement is not backward movement. Sometimes it can be equilibrium, a perfectly satisfactory position in being in the here and now. So when you look at it that way, then perhaps size becomes less critical to resilience than the norm states. 
Yeah. We've spoken in previous episodes about how an anti-growth agenda is not necessarily an anti-progress agenda. Exactly. Well, we have someone who I think can present a fresh perspective on it as our guest today. This would be a good time to bring him in. Siddharth Nigam, National Managing Partner, Growth at Grand Thornton Bharat. Siddharth, in his day job and beyond, deep dives into the intricacies of resilience as part of his mandate to partner businesses for the growth agenda. Siddharth, it's a pleasure to have you here on this episode of Storm the Norm. Welcome. Siddharth, thank you so much for making time for this session. I think uh, it's, it's probably always a good time to discuss the norm we're going to talk about today, but especially now when the world is being buffeted with all kinds of stormy winds, uh, it's probably a great time to bring this up to the top of the heap in terms of the norm to question right now. So let me just get straight to the norm and your reaction to it up front. Uh, the norm, as we've stated it, is size is the best insulation against shock. And the biggest firms are the most resilient as a result. Do you agree with this? Why? Why not? Thanks, Naran. Thanks for having me here. Um, I actually believe that uh, size is not uh, uh, an insulator itself for any organization as far as resilience in circumstances uh, that uh, arise because of change in the environment or uh, business models or competition. Uh, it is something that may help, but uh, it is more around agility. It is around an ability to adapt to change. It is around an organization's uh, uh, DNA to deal with issues with storms. Uh, and, uh, you know, if I was to look at the current crisis that the world is facing, which is a global crisis. Uh, it is not necessarily that the largest companies have done better or fared better than their smaller competitors. Uh, on the contrary, uh, I think a lot of businesses which have been agile, which have been able to adapt to the change in the way business is done, uh, uh, you know, look at the risks that have emerged and dealt with them in a manner that required a very quick turnaround and uh, adjustment in their own business model tend to have uh, you know fared better uh, and not only just survived but thrived and uh, got uh, momentum behind the change in business model so it is more around an ability to reinvent than size that uh, in my view helps uh, you know a, a, an organization being more resilient uh, especially in a crisis situation so let me let me shake things up a little bit and I'll connect it back to the business world, but I'm going to use a couple of analogies from from not the business world, if you will. Uh, so from the nautical world, we know that small boats capsize easily in a storm, while large ships weather storms much better and continue sailing through the storm. Uh, but from the natural world, uh, we also know through the uh, evolutionary time scale that the biggest animal species ever known, dinosaurs, have become extinct, but the cockroach continues to thrive. Uh, I know I'm both sides arguing over here, but I'm also struck by something you said, and I'm wondering, you know, through the pandemic, especially if you look at sectors like F&B or food tech, there have been so many um, victims by the wayside, uh, thanks to not being large enough to weather the storm, right? So, so what do you have to say to those two points? So, uh, Narayan, as I mentioned earlier, size 
could be one of the aspects that could help business insulate itself in uh, you know in a crisis situation or in a situation where uh, you know things are uh, change significantly uh, however it is not the only thing that can help a business survive uh, now if i was to bring this back to you know your example i think while a big ship may be able to weather a storm but a big ship post a storm can get stuck at the same place and you know you talk about sailboats uh, if you are stranded in the middle of a sea without uh, while you might not sink after a big uh, storm but you don't sail ahead there is a small boat you know because of the speed the flexibility is able to you know uh, ride out the waves and actually ride out the storm as opposed to just uh, you know face the storm and be stuck at the same place similarly i think in the business world you have to continue to move forward uh, you know sometimes they say you don't fix something if it ain't broke but you don't wait for something to break down before you start addressing that and i think that is an ability of a business to always try and foresee uh, what lies ahead uh, be informed and in the current scenario in the digital world where information is not an arbitrage where uh, you know what you do is always known to your competitors and your customers how do you utilize information as an ingredient to build resilience around your business and your business model uh, how do you change the way you reach your customers how do you change your manufacturing process do you really need to manufacture uh, or do you need to start manufacturing now in 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 the old world in the new world uh, you know what are the trends where is technology heading have you digitized your business uh, because that will help you survive uh, you know the next 20 years and not just you know get along in the next 2 to 3 years so i go back and summarize that uh, it is more about a thought process it's it's a mindset it is the ability the resilience in an organization uh, which is a lot about reinvention as well and it cuts across the largest of corporations and the smaller of businesses uh, because the pecking order will continue to change i mean uh, the largest automotive companies in the world don't even feature i think in the top 10 or top 20 largest corporations in the world and uh, you know the internal combustion engine which uh, was the forefront of mobility for more than 100 years uh, in the last 5 years uh, it is uh, a trend that uh, you know uh, upstart like tesla identified and was able to create products which are for the future and uh, you know and that did not come from automotive design that came from how do you manage energy and uh, use that energy to uh, you know move people uh, but you packaged it in a manner that was desirable to the customers you were able to charge top dollar for it that top dollar allowed you to continue to push the technology forward and uh, you know uh, uh, if you look at where tesla is today it is uh, worth more than all the other you know the top 5 automotive companies put together uh and that is coming from the back of a, a an organization or a corporation identifying where the future is going to go as opposed to you know just being another automotive company so that just building on what you just said so i think that another way to phrase this question is this whole balance between doing something strategic and doing something tactical for every one tesla that survives there are so many others like you know who begin with the same intention but you know just disappear from the scene very very quickly 
and uh, many of these mid-sized companies disguise their tactics as, as strategic actions or more uh, futuristic actions. And whereas the larger organizations do have a certain more disciplined, structured way of planning and, and doing something which is more strategic and long-term and resilient. So while they might survive better in the short term with those series of tactics, but we know that out of 100, there are only one or two that survive and there are 98 that disappear. So how do you balance this? Where is the, the right balance between strategic and tactics? Uh, so Anisha, I think you made a very good point. The difference between strategy and tactics. Uh, I think uh, I'll give you an example, uh, you know, talk about a little bit uh, moving away from, from India and talk about Germany. So the German economy uh, for the last five decades or more has been powered ahead with, with what is called the middle stand, which roughly translates into the mid sector or, or the middle economy. Now, middle stand in the German context is a state of mind. It is a, a culture of doing business. So somebody as large as Siemens also wants to continue to be a middle stand as far as their thought process is concerned. Now, what does this mean? This means an ability to understand your markets. It's an ability to understand your people. It's an ability to understand what your business direction should be. Now, when you become very large, uh, the the vibrations from the ground, if I was to call that from a customer to the board where the decision making gets centralized, they take, take too long. Uh, an example being Nokia. Nokia was a market leader in mobile telephony. And I think uh, a lot of people uh, grew up thinking Nokia as the, uh, you know, an aspirational brand which you wanted to buy or possess uh, once you uh, could afford mobile telephony. Today, Nokia does exist, but it's changed hands a couple of times. Uh, what did Nokia not do? They had a great phone. They had the technology. They uh, had an operating system, which was very familiar to people. So they, in a way, uh, you know, relied a little bit on, you know, what I would call strategy saying, hey, everything's going good. We've got uh, good feedback. Uh, uh, let's continue with our products. Out came iPhone with a completely new interface, which was uh, touch enabled. It took Nokia, I think a year and a half or two years to come out with their touch screen phone by the time it was too late. Now, if you look at the, here is an upstart, uh, which has never been in the handheld business or, or the mobile devices business. They were, Apple was a hardware company. It was a computing company, very centric to the United States, but the iPhone made them truly a global company. They, actually understood where the market was going to go and really built uh, a device which also worked as a phone but was not really serving the need which was pure voice communication and took the punt that data is what is going to get customers onto a mobile device now that is strategy uh, truly from from a company's ability to see the future what were the tactics setting up a supply chain sticking to a single model because that made them manufacture a device which was uh, aspirational it was a device that was you know desirable uh, they were the most expensive device stayed there uh, continued to you know uh, focus on the uh, customers uh, you know want to purchase an iPhone, uh, you know, continue to remain, uh, you know, 
aspirational. Uh, it is not that they were the first mobile handset company or the largest, uh, but over a period of time, they have managed to build, you know, I would say the most iconic uh, handset brand. Uh, uh, even when the world united against the iPhone in uh, as far as operating system is concerned and the world is now, you know, it's iOS versus Android and everything else has gone away. Uh, they continue to, uh, you know, power ahead. Yes, there are headwinds. Uh, when you are, you know, the market leader, you always find, uh, you know, your next uh, jump through the hoop has to be something special. And, you know, while there is a lot of criticism that uh, the iPhone has had over the last three, four years of not doing enough, uh, they have followed a strategy of sticking to the basics, which is the, you know, the form factor, the, you know, familiarity with, with the operating system, making the processor faster, not doing anything radical uh, uh, for the moment to uh, basically, you know, consolidate their market share. Uh, uh, and I think the, you know, the interesting part is that uh, now iPhones at a place where Nokia was uh, 10, 12 years ago. And it'll be interesting to see what they do both uh, from a strategy and uh, tactically over the next three, four years. Uh, you know, because there will be some upstart around the corner that will uh, displace them. They also have, uh, you know, Samsung as a very uh, credible competitor, which actually does a lot more, uh, you know, uh, in invention uh, and, and innovation than Apple does at, on uh, mobile handsets. Uh, but uh, somewhere as a brand, the iPhone continues to outflank them uh, consistently. Uh, you, it, it almost sounds like what you're saying is, listen, um, things are going to go down inevitably through a business life cycle. So it's not a question of if things will go south, it is when they will go south. And therefore, um, organizations need to build for resilience. Am I hearing you right? Saying that? Uh, that, that is correct. That is correct. So let me push that a little further. Um, uh, Taleb, Nicholas Nassim Taleb uh, makes this argument that it is not sufficient merely to be resilient. That is, it's great if you can bounce back. But is there an ability that you can de develop uh, to be what he calls anti-fragile, right? Meaning the very uh, stressors that cause disruption, what if you could use them to become stronger and not just to bounce back? Now, is that something that you think organizations can cultivate or is that only for individuals? Try and answer that through another example of Microsoft Corporation, right? Uh, so Microsoft started as a, you know, as an uh, an operating system company, and uh, you know their agenda or Bill Gates's ambition was to beat the big blue. So operating system company, software. Then they saw the, uh, you know, the opportunity in networking. They 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 transitioned into being a very strong networking company. Then they got the opportunity. Uh, or they saw the future lay in the internet and, uh, you know, they invested around that. Then it became gaming. Then it's cloud. I mean, you know, every five to six years, Microsoft evolved itself to create one more or couple of more engines of growth. Now, that's a strategy that has kept Microsoft uh, amongst the, you know, the powerhouses in the technology world for, you know, almost four decades. So somewhere uh, organizations uh, can also, uh, you know, uh, have that mindset that something around the corner is going to question your business uh, model. Some new competitor will come and make you redundant. Uh, 
how do we continue to move forward in the business that we are in or in adjacent areas or new areas altogether um the the world has woken up and realized that indian companies weathered the pandemic much better than the counterparts you know uh what inspiration you know if any we can take any examples of these companies and what inspiration can businesses take uh, from those who prospered in the pandemic to build a resilience for the future anisha that's uh, i think uh, very true uh, indian companies had two or three advantages over you know large global peers one then an entrepreneur uh, entrepreneurs tend to work better in moments of crisis uh, entrepreneurs have an ability to take uh, you know quick decisions to alter business models uh, in the current pandemic uh, and all, there was an opportunity to uh, bypass traditional distribution and build what i would call direct Uh, uh, to consumer distribution models uh, and they were able to adapt that their supply chains very quickly to doing that second uh, indian corporations could also look at uh, how do you very quickly uh, you know replace imports in critical goods uh, especially around healthcare and other related consumer businesses so they saw an opportunity of replacing you know uh, china as a sourcing model because there were logistical issues and you know general uh, perception uh, of of china as a country and were able to fulfill that gap Uh, by e- either uh, you know expanding capacities or getting into related areas uh, i think what uh, they did well was uh, you know did not shrug their shoulders saw this as an opportunity and in you know in vincent churchill's words you never let a good crisis go to waste and i think that really showed uh, the entrepreneurial ability of uh, indian companies to face the storm and actually do better in the current crisis Yeah, I'm still trying to assimilate everything that you've said, Siddharth. So thank you so much for uh, taking the time, but also especially sharing all of your expertise and insights with us. So thank you again. So Narayan, what did you take away from everything that Siddharth said? Anisha, pretty much everything Siddharth said resonated with me. More critically, it made me think harder about the context that makes resilience a must-have in anyone's arsenal, whether as an individual or as a business. You know, the pandemic has obviously heightened this realization in our times, but the fact is that the storm is as natural a part of reality as the calm is, and acknowledging and accepting this is perhaps we all don't do sufficient. Mm-hmm. The world has been vuka. before the term was coined hmm and the question therefore is how do you prepare yourself to be resilient size may be a sufficient condition but it's definitely not a necessary one well put narayan absolutely what about you anisha how would you storm this norm what hacks do you have for our audience so the covid-19 crisis has exposed stark differences in the fortunes of different small and medium sized businesses I mean, let's agree that larger businesses have been slightly less hard hit as a group, but the pandemic amplified a divergence between resilient companies and the rest, irrespective of size. Equally, there are quite a few mid-sized and small companies that, in fact, did much, much better. There were some who were able to take some knocks, bounce back, restart, adapt better than others. They had the tenacity, composure, stamina, and truly epitomized the term resilience. So here are my five resilience hacks. Mm. You can call it a resilience toolkit. 
that mm-hmm. may come in handy because we all know uncertain times are here to stay i'm all ears anisha so here's the first hack and my favorite mm-hmm. be resilient by purpose mm-hmm. many companies in hindsight are now today doing a purpose exercise but the firms <laughs> that are bound by the glue of a strong emotional purpose that goes beyond the mumbo jumbo of a vision mission statement mm. and stayed true to it are the ones that managed to sidestep crises better than others mm. they knew why their businesses exist and what difference do they make to the world at large today if they were to stop existing it would impact a few lives if not many True, Anisha. Purpose aligns everyone internally and externally, and creates a common passion to look at adversity as a stepping stone, as a glass half full, as against a depleting half glass. Exactly. And let me illustrate this with the case of Fab India during the pandemic. The nationwide lockdown came with a warning for Fab India and its two hundred and fifty retail stores. Hmm. The popular ethnic wear brand built over sixty years shut its stores in March, like many many other retail brands. Hmm. However, it was quick to notice that the government was allowing the sales of essential items and hygiene products during the lockdown, and decided to ramp up its organic foods production. Mm. but it still stayed true to its purpose of creating an interest and in market for local products sourced through local resources absolutely anisha when you know why you do what you do then you'll find new ways to do what you do especially in tough times indeed and moving on to my second hacks this one comes from sports mm. where resilience is the only tool for survival mm. so let me title it as cultivate mind and attitude resilience mm. there are many examples of resilient players in sports but a truly inspirational one came from our paralympians recently mm. we had a record 19 medals at the tokyo olympics and each one of them is a story of resilience and grit anisha you know i have a few friends with spinal cord injuries which has left them paraplegic or quadriplegic and a couple of them are para athletes too mm-hmm. one thing that seems to be common to all of them and how they build resilience is an unequivocal acceptance of their current situation you know they don't crib about or grieve over the irreversible physical situation they find their bodies in they build from their current realities and here we are as normal people you know with so much that we have and yet we are always finding what is missing in our lives you know mm-hmm. um, and and that's you know when you when you use the same analogy it's so mm. true for businesses as well yeah. businesses that survive are the ones that have leaders with similar psychological capacity of great quality and an attitude that is committed to learn relearn and improve their game mm. they have strong self awareness and over a period of continuous learning develop the relevant coping strategy to overcome those poor performances and any roadblocks which are preventing them from achieving their peak performance so they know how it is to each time not just give up but to mm. keep trying keep trying keep trying absolutely anisha so what's your third hack i mean this one is a little more hygiene uh, mm. but yet i mean it's also the most critical mm. which is the financial and revenue resilience Mm. we know that well capitalized businesses with strong focus on unit economics have built resilient revenue streams 
the most important element of this is the fact that they have a firm grasp on how money moves through their company and have a very disciplined and accurate cash flow forecast. Mm. And these are businesses that use the opportunity to introduce new payment terms for faster cash collections, providing discounts for early payments, unashamedly requested longer payment terms or discounts from suppliers, landlords, landlords, advisors, as the case may be. You know, Anisha, I was reading this interview the other day with Yashish Tahir, the co-founder uh, yeah. of uh, Policy Bazaar and Paisa Bazaar, mm-hmm. uh, who just IPO'd. And uh, he had this interesting take on unit economics. Uh, the problem with that is it does not take into account what I might call resilience capital. capital. Hmm. That allows a company to experiment and build strategies and capabilities to weather storms and take advantage of clear skies when they happen. So rather than return on investment, he asks for companies to be evaluated on return on capital. Uh, as he says about himself, adopt a builder's mentality, not a trader's. Yeah, this truly, I really like the idea of resilience capital. It should be something that companies should plan for. Indeed, Anisha. Okay, three down. On to the fourth hack now. The thing is, resilience doesn't just come to you, especially Mm -hmm. when you're standing still and seeing things from the same old perspective. And that's what my fourth hack is about, pivoting Mm -hmm. and finding resilience. Mm -hmm. So we've heard of many examples where companies use the pandemic as an opportunity to enter new lines of businesses or innovated on products in an attempt to survive. And in the bargain discovered, you know, some interesting opportunities for themselves. Hmm. And I think, let me just explain that with an example. I was just reading, uh, you know, on which are the companies that have done well during pandemic. And uh, this this was an interesting example, Workshala. Many real estate companies and aspiring entrepreneurs in India entered the co-working spaces following the market trend that showcased immense growth potential. Hmm. But with social distancing and working from home being the norm during the pandemic, the sector was really hit badly. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, however, Workshala is one such company that emerged from the COVID-19 crisis much stronger. Hmm. And what did they do? It was founded in, you know, just for the benefit of our listeners, it was founded in 2013 by Manoj Khandelwal, the Bangalore, I mean, it's a Bangalore-based co-working space. Mm. He came up with an initiative called Homescape mm. to provide furniture to people working from home. Interesting. As most people started working from home amidst the pandemic, it provided tables, chairs and desks to individuals, thereby giving them the required comfort and ease while working. I mean, this, I would think, is a very interesting pivot. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when life gives you lemons, uh, don't just make lemonade. Sell it to the Chole Bhattura so their customers can get just the right amount of tang. <laughs> In the plate of Chole Bhattura. <laughs> I see you like food analogies a lot, Narayan. FYI, I like food also a lot. <laughs> okay. All right. With that, let's get on to the final hack on resilience. So, from organization-focused hacks, I want to come to perhaps one of the most critical ones, a customer-focused ones. Mm. Identifying resilient customer segments. Mm. Businesses that did well worked hard to fortify an entire network of relationships, taking in all their stakeholders, especially customers and suppliers. But for this hack, I want to focus on customers here. Mm. Mm. 
these companies were able to map out different customer segments and rank their dependencies mm-hmm. in order. They paid close attention to those they were most dependent on for viability and growth. And in the process, identified customer segments that might thrive during different kinds of potential shifts. Mm-hmm. So use the data, segmented the customers, proactively went about making these relationships more robust by developing communication plans and protocols. Because communicating and staying in touch with the customer, especially at a time like this, even if they're not buying from you, you mm-hmm. know, was the most critical uh, element of strategy. They did not neglect relationships with customers who were temporarily closed down or sharply reduced purchases. They managed to stay in touch with them, mm-hmm. but equally zoomed in on customers who really needed their products, actively yeah. paid less attention to those who considered their product nice to have, never paid on time or were not profitable. So to a large extent, this also gave them an opportunity to release the long tail. Okay, There were customers who were more you know, exhausting rather than value adding. Um, so, so the bucket, you know, I mean, we normally call it, we don't pay attention to a leaking bucket. There are always customers that keep dropping out. But here this was done consciously by choice. It's very sharply observed, Anisha. I also remember at the beginning of the pandemic in early March of 2020, one of the insurance companies I worked with had already identified frequent travelers as a customer seg- segment to focus on. And it seems contrary in considering the lockdown was coming. But what they did was they quickly created a COVID-19 protection policy for that segment. Mm-hmm. And even with the lockdowns preventing travel temporarily, they knew that this was a segment that would be itching to resume travel when things opened up even slightly. And so they created a product that would help those customers, of course, also their own business mm-hmm. to be resilient. Mm-hmm. These are all fantastic hacks, Anisha, as usual. Very universal, yet very practical ways for businesses to build resilience regardless of size. And I think that's a great place to wrap up episode 26 of Storm the Norm. As always, there are multiple places you can catch us on. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, GeoSavan by just searching for Storm the Norm. And on Saregama Karavan 2.0 devices on channel 453. This is Narayan. And Anisha. Signing off for now. We'll be back with a new episode shortly. Thank you and talk to you soon. Thank you.